For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Take the Black Live, your from home all the time, once a week, Wednesday afternoon, show about all things, you know, pop culture, sci-fi, fantasy, Game of Thrones, Star Wars, Penny Dreadful, City of Angels this week, uh, Westworld, Song of Ice and Fire, all manner of things we want to talk about that you want to hear about. I am Dan Selke, editor of WinnerIsComing.net, and you are? I'm Mia Johnson, entertainment editor at Fansighted.com. How's it going, Dan? It's going pretty good. Um, I feel like we could banter for a second, but it's going to be the same. How are you doing in quarantine? Right. <laughs> I'm doing fine. How am I doing in quarantine? It's uh, it's closed up. It's lonely. It's isolated. I don't know what I'm doing myself. We'll just record one session where we just say, I'm doing great. I watched a lot of stuff today. I'm inside. And then we can just put that in there and, and problem yeah. solved. Well, same. And thanks for everybody watching. Uh, hey, Debbie, good to see you. Um, okay. The, the comments are a little bit different. Hey, Angela, Julie, good to see you. Sarah. The comments are like bunched in. I don't know about you guys, like That's Facebook ch- changed over for me. There's like a new version, but I'll Mine get still looks it. the same. So <laughs> I'm not sure what happened. Anyway, um, as always, we have plenty of fun things to talk about today, including a potentially dicey topic we'll get to in a minute. But first, um, I wanted to go to that galaxy far, far away for a second, because as always, there's there's always things happening in Star Wars, isn't there? No matter what's mm-hmm. happening. Like, if we get into the dead of this COVID-19 period, and there's nothing happening anywhere in the world, somehow they're going to announce a new Star Wars show. I just know oh, yeah. it. But no, I, oh, I yeah. we want to take a look at that because of a couple new news items. So there is a report that Disney has tapped the creator of the Netflix show Russian Doll, which I didn't watch, but apparently it was a... It's oh. so good. It's so, so, so good. <laughs> What's the, like bullet point it really quick for us um it's basically about this woman who it's her birthday she i think she ends up dying but then she's based on this live die repeat cycle and she's trying to find out what the heck is happening and then she meets somebody who else is going through the same thing okay so crazy good. fun <laughs> yeah i mean i of course heard it was very very good and it definitely got a lot of uh, good press mm-hmm. and 
And Disney has uh, tapped the showrunner of it, whose name is uh, Leslie Headland, to make a female-centric Star Wars show set in a yeah. different part of the Star Wars timeline on Disney+. Plus. Now, I think there are kind of two angles to go in for this. What's your take on that to begin with, that, that news? You know, I think kind of like everybody, my automatic response was an Ahsoka show, Ahsoka spinoff. Um, oh, yeah. I think the whole, like, well, I don't know. Yeah, it could be its own separate thing as well. <laughs> that was kind of my, like, go-to, like, oh, finally, you know, they're moving ahead with it. Um, there also could just be a completely brand new, like, original character that they're going to go for. Uh, but, yeah, that was just kind of my go-to. <laughs> okay, so, so you think immediately Ahsoka, because I, I kind of did too. So, well, like, mainly what I've been concerned with is I hear that, and it, it, it just occurred to me, this time last year, do you remember this? There are no Star Wars shows on TV, and there was I one know. on the way. <laughs> just, it occurred to me that we were suddenly living in a world where we have, I think, five different ones currently either in production or on the way. So we got the Mandalorian second season of that is coming. We have a docuseries about the making of the Mandalorian coming <laughs> right. a couple of days. <laughs> four, yeah. We have a show about Cassie and Andor from Rogue One. Mm-hmm. We have an Obi-Wan Kenobi show starring Ewan McGregor. Um, we have Jedi Temple Challenge, a game show hosted by the guy who played Jar Jar Binks, Ahmed Best. Can't forget that one. Yeah. Um, and then we have... And they're doing the High Republic publishing kind of arm thing, which is not really a show, but it's still like yeah. an effort. And now we have a female-centric show coming. So that's at least six. Remember when they said they're taking a hiatus from Star Wars for a while? What a mm. load of crap that was. <laughs> that doesn't sound right at all. And yeah, I, I, agree with, yeah. I, I agree with you that... I mean, I certainly hope this is an Ahsoka show, because if it's not, it means we're going to have seven... And I, yeah, that would be too much, too much. Yeah, it's like a lot to pile on your plate. I'm sure, like some Star Wars fans would really mind that. And technically, if you think about it, like the whole Mandalorian is kind of already set. The Mandalorian docu series, it, it is what it is. It's a docu series, so it's basically just yeah, eight that's, episodes that's of like, here's how we made it. Here's a couple of roundtables with the actors and the directors and all that. Um, and so then, so that kind of narrows it down to like maybe two or three, like actual series. And then as well, I guess like the game show, which I have been completely forgetting about. Oh, yeah. uh, so I, I think that's a manageable load, especially considering like there's going to be no more clone wars that's, um, finishing this week. And, um, I'm not entirely sure about some of the other animated shows, but I, I think it's a, it's a big load, but it's kind of reasonable. I disagree with you, Mia. I think it's oh, a little no. unreasonable. <laughs> Six shows? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Whenever I see this much pylon, my alarm starts to go off and I start to think, okay, there might be a bubble coming up here. <laughs> Just that much stuff. I never trust it. But um, yeah, yeah I, 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 I just want to bring to everybody's attention that um, if you're not interested in Star Wars, it's a horrible time for you. So Julie, I'm sorry, but the world is just nothing but Star Wars nowadays, apparently. I liked Mandalorian <laughs> a lot. I, I just wonder if, like, I, I doubt you can keep up a level of quality with that many different programs. Yeah, and I, I feel like at some point, one of these series, whether it's Obi-Wan or Cassian Ander, is going to get kind of a little niche to the point where it's like, okay, you really kind of only have to be a Star Wars fan to watch this, so you're only going to be interested 
you know, if you're a Star Wars fan. Um, so, yeah, and I, I just I just saw today there's like a report where the Obi-Wan series is kind of like overhauling the plot where mm-hmm. they were going to have it be based on Tatooine and maybe, um, you know, the planet where Luke Skywalker's from and all that. And it kind of sounded like they wanted to, to only be about Tatooine. And it's like, but there's no mention of Obi-Wan whatsoever. <laughs> so I think they're really trying to hammer it out and figure like, what's the best way to do this without like still making it the Mandalorian or Cassian and or whatever else is going to happen. That's so the thing, like, I have hope that they're working. <laughs> that's the thing. Like if you're making a new series and you automatically start making it just like another series mm-hmm. is a solution to retool everything or a solution to say, maybe we don't need more than like two or three shows in the same universe. That's what I'd be asking myself. That's a tough one. And, you know, I think this is something everybody, I think, kind of want to see Ewan McGregor back as Obi-Wan. Sure. So that, to me, felt like a lock-in. Cassian Andor is obviously a surprise. Um, I wouldn't say he was like a huge fan favorite character in Rogue One, but I think there's definitely at least something to him. So. I, you know, I really don't know. I think as a Star Wars fan, I'm just kind of looking forward to seeing what they're able to, you know, crack right. out. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you are pleased. And hello, Chris. Uh, and grossly, not me. All right. So that's a Star Wars corner. Like, we can't not talk about it. There's always yeah. something happening yeah. in Star Wars. It's always happening. Okay. I want to talk about today a Song of Ice and Fire topic that is a little taboo, a little dangerous, a little racy. But I know it, it's definitely crossed my mind, and I'm sure it's crossed other people's minds. And I'm going to try to put it delicately, because uh, there was some some discussion about it lately, and I thought it was yeah. worth bringing up. All right. A Song of Ice and Fire is a popular fantasy series in the mind of author George R. R. Martin, going for five books. Hasn't been a book since 2011. There's going to be another one, hopefully any day now. We'll see. The one's the winner, the one's the spring. Um, someone... I think uh, a Reddit commenter, I think it was Adam Whitehead, who who was who a respected uh, fantasy author and apparently a friend of Martin's, according to Los Teatereenos, a Spanish language song with Firesight. They dug up this old Reddit comment from him where he was talking mm-hmm. about the sort of dicey question of if for some reason George R.R. R. Martin, who was in his 60s, can't finish A Song of Ice and Fire, um, is there a plan for what happens afterward in that eventuality? Now, this question is one that I don't love to talk about because, uh, I mean, okay, fine. I'll just say it. The, yeah. the, the question yeah. is, if Martin dies, is there a way for this series to continue? We're all um, adults here. We're all adults, but it's still, it's kind of distasteful. And I, <laughs> I know, know, it's I close, know. But whatever, we're just going to ask it. And the research on it was actually pretty robust. So, are you aware, Mia, of any other instances where that kind of thing happened? Because there are a couple where an author died partway through writing a series and um, it either faded out or went on to be completed? Nothing comes to mind right off the bat, actually. And I'm, like, thinking hard about this. The big one is The Wheel of Time. So that's a giant fantasy series that also was just voluminous. I, I, I believe it's like the second longest fantasy I've ever written. Robert Jordan dies in 2005, the author. And in that case, he got another author, Brandon Sanderson, to finish the last three books. And that ended up working out pretty well, by the way. Like, mm-hmm. those were received well. Um, 
yeah, uh, it, it, it was a success more or less. Yeah. Um, there are other times it doesn't work out as well. There are times when like Frank Herbert, the author of the Dune books, died in the 80s. His son yeah. kind of took over and just kind of put together some books that don't have very good reputation. Like they're not as good as the original yeah. people say. Okay. So, it, so it can go different ways. And Martin has been uh, asked this question a couple of times throughout his career and given some great responses. Once at a convention in 2003, a fan, a fan asked again, so, so diplomatically, is there a plan just in case this fan asked? And Martin said, and I quote, nope, it's all in my head. So if I die, you are all shit out of luck, which I love. I think it's a great response because I mean, like it, it's awkward, right? Yeah. This person is basically asking you, if you die, what happens? Especially Which, you're saying this was in 2003. So he was, what, like 17 years young? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> Would be my response. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Bold question, though. Very bold question bold to ask. question. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate the gumption, I guess. He says, we're all going to die one day. That's true. I should just get out of uh, the headspace of being embarrassed about it. Yeah. Um, anyway, he said that, but apparently that was more of, yeah, I think it reads kind of a jokey answer. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. if I get hit by a bus, I have no notes or anything. So you're shit out of luck. Sure. But according to Whitehead, who again, apparently is Martin's buddy and a, and, and mm-hmm. a respected author, which is why that I, which is why I'm willing to kind of quote him here. Cause I, I do think mm-hmm. he has a good track record has said that while Martin is like, if he died, like hit by a bus asteroid, there's nothing because he doesn't have any really notes. He, he does make it up as he goes along pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he has like an outline rough, but not really anything set in stone. However, apparently if it was more like a Robert Jordan situation, which was he died after a prolonged illness and he, in that time made copious notes, like an outline of what was supposed to happen, gave them off to this Brandon Sanderson author who then finished the series in that Martin is open to that is the word from Whitehead. So in answer to the question, is there a plan just in case? I think there is. That's what it sounds like, I guess. Assuming that eventuality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like you said, it's an unfortunate thing to think about. But I think just like the the amount of popularity, since even like 2003, that this, you know, series has uh, accumulated. I think it's worth him maybe saying okay i need to you know keep something like in the bag just to you know break for emergencies type of thing uh and i i know that this feels so like weird to talk about i mean it, it also happens I'm you know like po- thing, i'm thinking like politically like you know all those like what happens if the queen dies what if, what happens so oh, totally. i feel like that's kind of where my brain is at right now and i think that the the thing that it kind of treads on though it's like well you know if it didn't all come from him does it really matter is it really you know canon um and almost the same thing can kind of be said like about season eight and or you know whatever seasons followed that weren't you know technically part of the book it's like well is this really canon are we going to choose to accept it or does it even matter really (laughs) that's an that's an interesting question because i mean martin told them the ending but it's a matter of he, he changes things as he goes. And, and so many of the details are different. It might feel very, very different. What do you think of the notion of 
just in general, like a story being continued after the original author um, can't finish it. Just like the notion of it. I mean, Star Wars, for instance. I mean, George Lucas hasn't been writing Star Wars for a long time, but it's still going on. Six shows and counting going on. (laughs) Yeah, I think that the note, like the overall notion of like handing something down to somebody, uh, I think is generally, to me, I accepted, you know, it even happened with like ghostwriting, right? You know, you've got somebody who's able to mimic the voice well or who knows the characters well enough to kind of, you know, continue on with that style, continue on with the characterization. Um, I think just like really like, it was ghost I don't know why, why ghost writing, you know, like, Oh, uh, ghost know, I didn't really right. Yeah. So it's like, I, I, I was going to say the thing that jumps to my mind is kind of like fan fiction because there's so mm-hmm. many great writers out there who go like, you know, undercover and they just really crack out work. That's great or greater than the style um, of the source text or the source material. So yeah, well, I, I think that kind of like, you know, where you have different directors for a TV show or different writers or things like that, it can be done. And I don't really too much have a problem with it. I guess I don't really either. But I mean, of course, um, Martin, by the way, is against fan fiction. He is anti-fan fiction. Um, <laughs> that's a whole fascinating topic on its own, by the way. Like, which authors, <laughs> yeah. are, for, which authors are against it? Like, J.K. Rowling is into it, but only to a point. It's very, very complicated and weird. Um, Anne Rice hates it. George R. Martin isn't a fan. Um, I mean, obviously it's going to happen no matter what. I mean, when you get into this circumstance, you have like the legal claim to a story. It's like, yeah, yeah, folk are going to continue it no matter what. But it's like the option of, do you want to be like Lucas and just sell the rights for $4 billion and other folk are going to write into it? Or are you going to keep them close? I think it's what Martin tends to do. Yeah. And Folk are going to make something anyway, but you're not going to get any money for it in that circumstance. But in in, in terms of, I mean, yeah, even if he were to pass away, I'm sure someone would complete the story, but it wouldn't be an official completion, which there is something to that. I mean, if had the Wheel of Time ended when Robert Jordan died, um, I'm sure that plenty of fans would have stepped in, written their own versions, but we do have post Robert Jordan's death, an official wheel of time series that mm-hmm. I think is official in a way it wouldn't have been if it was just, you know, a bunch of fans kind of all throwing in their three, four five cents after the death. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an interesting, complicated issue. Yeah. Um, hopefully it won't come to that. Obviously. Right, yeah. Best case scenario, obviously he gets to actually finish. So <laughs> I think that's obviously I think what everybody wants. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I don't think it, it it's an absurd question to talk about either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially, well, I mean, it doesn't mean nervous to talk about it. Um, so we should just move on, unless there are any it's questions. Just a knock on guys. wood. What do you guys think of this? I think he's stuck and doesn't know where to go. He should probably stop overthinking it, says Julie, probably. Jacqueline says he's had more than ample time to finish this book. If it's not finished in quarantine, it never will be. And Martin Begg simply says, and with 30 question marks. Um, yeah. All excellent points, especially the and. But yeah, I just in, in in case you were worried that there was no plan at all, it does sound like there's something um, more yeah. than nothing, but maybe not uh, something entirely robust yet. Okay, we're out of that. I'm gonna take a sigh of just a relaxed breath yeah. that I don't have to be nervous anymore. That I'm stepping on anybody's toes. Mia, you wanted to bring up a 
issue about circling back to our eternal overlords, Disney. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So this was something that was brought up to me by one of our contributors who um, had found out that there is apparently a uh, report that there's going to be a Mulan 2. Now there's yeah. technically already a Mulan 2. The, I believe it was straight to video uh, animation this is a this sequel one, to the upcoming live action Mulan, right? The upcoming live action Mulan, which technically that has not even come out. Um, it should have been out by now, though. Shouldn't it should have been out. Wasn't it like originally late, it was out in March? It was like late March that the uh, live action was supposed to come out. You know, they're promoting it. There are all these trailers online on TV. And then Corona happened. It was one of like the first Corona couple happened. of movies to be. It did. That, that happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was one of the first movies to be moved. So far, it's moved to July 24th. Um, even that, to me, is starting to sound like, eh, it's not so no. good. Um, uh-uh. But nevertheless, it sounds like there will be a sequel, um, as well as I've also heard that there's Aladdin 2, live action Aladdin 2, uh, currently in development. Um, so that got us kind of wondering over on the fan side side of things, like, is this the future of Disney post-COVID? Um, because if you think about it right now, everybody is kind of in the red. Maybe Disney Plus is keeping afloat, um, you know, helping the company Netflix to stay. Just fine. Netflix has not had to worry at all. Um, but, you know, some of the other folks who have been dependent on, like, putting their movies in theaters or, or doing, you know, whatever else that has been stopped are, you know, taking a hit. Uh, so we had kind of wondered, is this the future? Do you think it, it's feasible or something that Disney would look into is just creating more sequels, just saying, Hey, you know what? This is a known franchise. We know all the characters. People know the characters. It's, they can already probably tell you with their eyes closed. It's not going to flop <laughs> just because yeah, it is what it is. Um, and yeah, it, it would bring in money. Uh, so I was, I was wondering, like, do you think that this would be like a feasible plan for Disney? Is this something that we'll see more of in the future? I uh, have a, surprisingly cynical take on this. You can believe that. I don't think this is post COVID-19 Disney. I think this is the path this is going to anyway. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't surprise me at all that Disney would line up a sequel to a sure to be successful blockbuster before it even opened. That makes perfect sense yeah. for them. I think all these Disney live action remakes are basically cash ins anyway. Like, some are more interesting than others. I think Mulan actually looks pretty cool. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. As far as the live-action remakes go, that one looks different enough to be like, okay, I'm interested in that. But like most of them, I, I'm not sure there's a reason for them to exist except for money. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, I have a really... It, 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 it doesn't shock me at all that they would do this, and I think they would do it with or without COVID. Interesting. That leads me kind of to... It was like a tie-in piece to something that I had written um, Mm-hmm. About the old Disney vault, you know, the Disney vault is that Disney you know big, vault. So <laughs> big mean mis- that was mysterious thing, you know, where Remember those a movie commercials from like the nineties or two thousands were like, we're gonna put out a movie, a beloved child like Bambi, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. after it's out for like a month, it's going back in the vault, and like a yeah. giant graphic of just like a vault spinning close and a locking door. Like, why would you? Yeah. It's that commercial and you're you're looking it away from them. Let me then give you a quick kind of like rundown of the vault and how that relates to the sequels and how you're actually kind of right. And I won't, I'll try not to take up too much time, um, but there's a really good video on (laughs) yesterworld entertainment where they talk like 20, 30 minutes about the vault, but to summarize it, 
Um, you know, when Disney started out, they were purely theatrical. People didn't have VHS, DVD. Um, so they would rely on releasing their movies, you know, like five, three, yeah. every so years. Um, and this helped to help them keep money going and all that. Once VHS and everything came out, Disney was kind of stingy. And they said, we don't want our stuff being on that crap in people's homes, like DVDs and VHS. We huh. want to have, you know, this pure, magical movie going experience. So they were very selective about what they put out. Um, eventually, that was not feasible. More people wanted VHS. Yeah. So they were like, okay, t- we'll still be snooty about it. But we're only going to release our um, DVDs or whatever, VHSs every so often so that we create like a fake demand. We can, you know, inflate prices and we can continue just to basically repackage old movies in a new way. Um, You can only do that for so long. VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, you kind of hit the end of the line with streaming. So what someone had hypothesized was that live action sequels were just a new way for Disney to like repackage old movies without, you know, having to put in too much effort to create new ones. <laughs> One million percent. Yes. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's exactly what's happening. I'm not, yeah, I, I love that theory. I think it's a great theory. You know, um, talking about um, seeing movies in theaters and that being a strategy to like kind of be a prestige release. I've read a lot about how, because everything is closing down right now, obviously no mm-hmm. theaters are open and no productions are going on, and studios have had some success releasing things to streaming only. Like Universal released this Trolls World Tour yeah. thing, which is going to be a theater thing to, to streaming. Um, it's going to hasten the process that was already happening, where theaters aren't going to matter as much. Because, I mean, look... I know that we still don't have like all home theaters in our homes, but the screens are getting pretty big. Yeah. And quality's crystal clear. And yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> I think that there's a point where like it, it's gonna meet where maybe it would be cool to go to a giant screen, but you have this pretty big screen at home yeah. and you have the privacy and snacks and, and you, everything. And that this what's interesting- crisis yes, yeah, so, so, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, I was gonna say what's interesting though is like even with your phone, it's like I'll just, I, I will straight up just watch stuff on my phone. So it's like, sometimes it even doesn't matter if you have a large TV to watch a movie or a video. It's like, oh, I'll just watch it on my phone. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I have not done that yet. I'm afraid of that, honestly, for some <laughs> reason, but I won't. But anyway, the, the, the idea is that this crisis is going to just accelerate that, that yeah. when we have at the end of this, theaters aren't going to be as important anymore just because yeah. studios will get used to doing things through streaming yeah. and it, there's going to be a, there's going to be a bit of a shakeup. Did you hear that Universal said said that because the Trolls was so successful, it's going to start releasing all of its movies both in theaters and through streaming, and then here's the oh yeah go the, ahead uh, yeah and and then the AMC president who uh, AMC obviously has a thousand theaters throughout the world said if you do that we will no longer show any Universal movies in theaters. So, like, this is tense. This is a war. Yeah. This is, this is going to yeah. be big. Yeah. It was, like, weird because it was, like, at first the streaming wars was technically just within the streaming platforms. And now it's, like, streaming wars against, well, I feel like it's almost been streaming, you know, against movie theaters. But now more than ever, they're like, hey, wait a minute. And if you think about it, if you go direct to video, I think I believe the studios get to keep more of the profit because they don't have the split with the theater. So, they're like, you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's what's going on. Um, 
it did make me wonder, and we don't have to talk about this too long, but it's like, since you did have like all those direct to video sequels, mm-hmm. it's like, is that no longer canon? You know, like, um, all the Aladdin stuff that happened, like, um, King of I did Thieves. see Aladdin <laughs> 2 back in the day, way back when I was a little boy. <laughs> so I, I wonder how that, unless they, th- I, they might take some elements from those sequels, but like, let's be real, like Cinderella 2 and Cinderella 3 are not great movies and they don't need to be <laughs> replicated. So I actually wouldn't have a problem if those were <laughs> forgotten by history. <laughs> I mean, my take on that is like, who cares about the, the, the Disney video sequels? <laughs> like, if you want to talk about shameless cash grabs, give me a break. Yeah. Like, that, that, oh, that, yeah. that's all those were. Oh, I mean, yeah. if you love them, great. I'm, I'm happy you love them, but I... I, I yeah. I, I don't feel like those are treasured. No. <laughs> so yeah, that that's what's going on with Disney. They'll they'll figure it out. Bob Iger is, uh, you know, he is it's back, back in the rain, so to speak. Yeah. So he, I, I have faith in him. I, or at least I hope I do. Again, like I keep complaining about Disney and all these things that seem like they're bad, but I also keep having to admit that really they haven't really, at least in terms of Marvel, anyway. Um, mm-hmm disappointed me yeah so yeah yeah, um do what you do and we'll see what happens although really (laughs) honest to god marvel's the only one that's like really been killing it i have not liked those live action remakes i have not liked the star wars so maybe i am right when i whine and complain yell and stuff (laughs) you can be a consultant yeah (laughs) uh but let's get some comments we've gotten some good ones jacqueline says i bet it was an actual vault wouldn't that be funny yeah (laughs) It's, it's like they actually had just a giant Lock away. Locked and put them away. It just always seems so cruel to me. Those commercials, like this beloved movie in front of kids who want to see it, and then you put it behind an impenetrable wall. They would have to break in with like dynamite or something. Like, hey, it, kids, tell your parents to spend money now. It seemed else. a little extra. It, it seemed a bit yeah. much. But it was like the Michael Eisner days, I think. Oh yes, yes. So fascinating, Disney history. And uh, Jacqueline says to bring at, bring back drive-in movies, which I believe they have seen a resurgence during this time of coronavirus. Um, because obviously you can... If it, you can social distance in a way. Yeah, yeah. just be in your car <laughs> and not touch anybody and watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not really sure how realistic it is to like bring them back. But yeah, I mean, that's obviously a good business model. Yeah, yeah cool that if they came back some way. And Jack also says, and I kind of agree with this, there's something special about the theater. The popcorn yeah. the sound makes it more exciting than screening at home. Lisa says, I hope we never lose theater. Such a wonderful experience to get from the big screen. I do agree. I love going to movie theaters. And I got to tell you, like, I sometimes hear people say, like, ugh, I hate going. Everyone's so loud. And, like, the, the food's disgusting. The seats are gross. I'm like, where are you yeah. going? Like, it's not, yeah. like, perfect. But it's, it's I, I've. I've never had like a terrible theater experience. I do love going to theater. Yeah. It's kind of almost like going out to like a sporting event, depending on the movie you see where I specifically, I'm thinking about Avengers Endgame, where like this week the, or like yesterday, basically the Russo brothers had shared mm-hmm. a clip that they filmed where everybody was like cheering at kind of the end. It was so exciting. Else. Yeah. 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 I love that. Like the communal experience of like a, reacting to something great with a whole crowd of people. Like, yeah, you're not going to get that at home. I mean, I do agree with the pundits who are saying that there's that there might be a leveling off. I agree with yeah. Sarah Jackman, who, who said that they're not really going to go away. Uh, of course, there'll always be a place. That place might be reduced as more people do choose to just opt not to go. But I agree. They're definitely something special about it. And again, 
I've always just been mystified by people who just rail against it and hate it. I'm like, really? Nothing you'll okay, fine. <laughs> I think you there's know. certain movie theaters. There's one in, in one area where I know every time there's gonna be kids whining and you sure. know, phones going off. So <laughs> I have to be selective unless I want like cheap tickets or something. <laughs> I'm looking forward to them opening up again. And Debbie says it's sad to think of the days she'll never go into the movies. Um, I think that they will still go just it won't be as big of a thing. It'll kind of be yeah, like a little, a little bit like drive-ins where they still exist technically. Right. But not yeah. It's kind of like you, you won't know what you don't have. Like I don't know about drive-ins, so it's not really an experience that I can say I miss because I've never experienced it. I never have gone. Maybe I'll yeah. look some up. If, if a, yeah. if there's one open around here and I can't go to the real theater, it could be worse. Okay. <laughs> now let's go talk about Mia. What have we been watching this week? And I think we have to start with, we are plugging yeah, on Westworld. Yeah. Westworld. By the way, I apologize to watchers if I'm going to come off as a cynical douchebag this week, um, but it might happen. <laughs> you know, well, what did you think of Past Pawn, the most recent episode of the TV mm, show Westworld? Yeah, you mean the Dolores show? That's what I've been calling it. <laughs> show. She and is, it's no longer Westworld to me. Um, yeah, this one was. It got, to me, it was a little, I wouldn't say getting into the absurd, but to me it kind of reached levels of, like, superhero bad guy antics, where um, we run into this big um, AI uh, machine, Solomon, who's, like, the old, or the machine that's running now, and you find out that, like, Ciroc's got this master. It it reminded me of, like, a, a classic villain who's like, yes, my plan is to take over the world or make the world better, and I'm like, oh... (laughs) maybe there's something about world domination that seems a little cheesy to me. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. been there, done that. Um, And they revealed some things about Caleb's past, which to me, I, I, I won't say I predicted it, but I did like when they were talking about his friend Francis, I was like, I know he's got something to do with this. I already know, you know, making it too easy. You knew there was a twist coming. You'd like, yeah, sure what the twist was, but like, there's obviously more to it than they're saying. Right. That kind of thing. Yeah, and the whole kind of, like, I guess, cliffhanger twist about leaving it to Caleb um, and having him take the fall, I don't really know how I feel about that. It just doesn't seem that mind-blowing to me, and I won't say I was 100%, you know, satisfied with this episode. Yeah, me neither. Okay, here's what you said about Serac coming to supervillain. I feel like they started with the conclusion of the humans are just like the hosts. That'll be yeah. the metaphor we're going with. And then like constructed a reality around that. But like, rather than just thinking, okay, what would the characters do next mm-hmm. if they just got out into the world? So they had to make this supervillain Serac, who I agree is just sort of cheesy. Okay. Some problems though are left over from the other season. Like, I can't, I rolled my eyes real damn hard when um, Caleb asked Dolores, like, where are you taking me? Where are we going? And she said, like, Uh we're going to recover something that was lost, something that was taken. And I'm like, Dolores, just give him an address. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, she never, ever says what she means. It's infuriating. Yeah. (laughs) Another thing that I, that bugged me was, they're out looking for this kind of super AI in the American West, right? And mm-hmm. it recalls the kind of Westward landscape, and it's all Arizona, New Mexico, whatever out there. And she tells him that 
oh, what I want is like a land for my people to defend. And I'm like, why haven't we been, why are we only finding that out now? Like, (laughs) yeah, this show is so bad at giving motivations to its characters. Like, I never know what she wants. I never know what she's going for. And like, they just slip that in, in the penultimate episode. And it's like, this should have been the drive for the whole time. Literally, when she said that, I was like, that's Westworld. Westworld is a place for your people. I thought that her thing was she wanted to integrate the host and, and, you know, with humanity. That, to me, sounds like something that you can fight for. I think she could find some space to rent out (laughs) for her and the host to live without, you know, destroying all of humanity. So, yeah. But, like, that could be the goal. But, but, But instead, we have this long drawn out thing where you don't quite know what she wants like no one seems to caleb doesn't sarak doesn't it's a revolution what kind of revolution also where are all the extras like because that's so empty like that big warehouse they were in like yeah, they killed yeah, four um, guards but there's no technician there's no but attending to the kind of the comatose bodies i'm <laughs> i uh i'm yeah. i i I don't love this show. I, yeah, I think it's the way, like, the extras, or even just the cast that's not Dolores, and a little bit of Maeve, kind of like at the beginning we saw Musashi um, Hanayaro, I believe is how you say her name, came back, and of course Clementine came back. Everybody was so excited. I was like, uh-huh. yeah, now she's gonna, they're all gonna come together and they're gonna fight Dolores, and they were only in for like the first five minutes of the show. I was like, what is that all about? <laughs> you bring them on, and you say, okay, that's enough. I hope you enjoy the fan service. We have a, a writer, Daniel DeVita, who writes our Westworld reviews. He's loving it. I wouldn't mind getting him on the show and talking about, like... That'd be interesting, who yeah. Do you, for the who do you think you are? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just grill him the entire time. It's not nice. <laughs> Julie says, my main problem is working out who is real, who is fake, who is in the, whose side is crazy. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. And she agrees you can see that coming. Jacqueline says that she loves Outlander. Wonderful to start watching The Last Kingdom. Um, I'm watching The Last Kingdom now. It comes highly recommended. I think you probably should, Jacqueline. And uh, we'll have someone on the plan, or at least my plan is to have someone on next week talk about The Last Kingdom because it just dropped the entire fourth season on Netflix. I figure, like, give people, like, a week to watch it. But um, yeah. I'd love to talk about it next week. And, yeah, Outlander apparently is killing it. Outlander is um, giving up big, satisfying, long-term moments uh, week after Good week. Cheers. Something is good on television. <laughs> you know what I think is pretty good on television that Who I watched that? Um, the premiere episode this past Sunday was Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Has anybody watching watched that? So this is a new show on Showtime, uh, the sequel to the old Penny Dreadful show, which is kind of set in Victoria. This one's set in 1930s Los Angeles. And it stars Natalie Dormer from Game of Thrones, Marjorie Tyrell, as a demoness named Magda, who wants to prove that humanity is a bunch of gross, disgusting cesspool monsters. And it's, a, it's, set, it's set during the lead-up to World War II, so she has a lot to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, last week, I, I, I talked about it a bit, but a bit. It's an ambitious show. It follows like a newly made detective in the LAPD. He's the first kind of detective in the LAPD. Tiago Vega, his partner is Nathan Lane, which is fun. Or it's fun to say Nathan Lane stuff. Timon or Pumbaa, one of them, I forget which one. Um, they're investigating a murder. 
Magda is trying to push humanity to war. There are Nazis involved in building a freeway. It sounds like a lot, and it is. Yeah. And I can say, I watched the premiere episode. I thought it came together quite nicely. I thought it had a ton of atmosphere. I thought the characters were all convincingly written. Like, I describe that to you, and it sounds like it's kind of biting off more than it can chew. And I'm afraid yeah. it might if it goes on. But the premiere, I thought, held together very well. It it yeah. it looks like it's the kind of show that um, could clearly has conviction behind, it, which I love. And if it holds together, it could be really, really special. Yeah. Now, I asked you this in the slide, but it might be worth asking again for the people out there as a disclaimer. Is this scary or is it, you know, sometimes I get a little, like, antsy right. about those types of things. <laughs> I would say no, it is not scary. Like the first Penny Dreadful was more of a horror show. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that wasn't really. I mean, they fought like monsters and Draculas and witches and stuff, but it was more about the characters and, and, and this one especially. Like this one you can tell the guy writing it has like a metaphorical political agenda. He's like trying to kind of parallel this pre-World War II time of rising nationalism with our current time. And he, he, he's more concerned with kind of having that discussion than spooking you. There was one <laughs> bit with kind of a, a spirit of the dead. that was a little spooky, but it was one scene. And there was a, pol- the police story revolves around a murder and, you know, it's TV. So of course they were yeah. killed brutally and laid out in a weird pentagram shape and their bodies are mutilated. It's standard serial killer stuff. But uh, those are pretty quick. So far, no. I would say it is not horror. Like, okay. The climax was a... It was pretty dramatic. It was very dramatic. It was a shootout between the main character, who's on the LAPD, and he has to help the police build this freeway through the poor Mexican-American neighborhood where his family lives. So he's on the one side, his family's on the other. What's going to happen? Very mm. dramatic. But, you know, it, 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 it's like that. It's, it's drama. There's no yeah. horror involved in that. Okay. And, yeah, I thought I really dug it. Awesome. And, you know, I realized that I'm psyching myself out because I kind of built up a tolerance for that when I forced myself to watch Hannibal, which had a lot of horrendous atrocities in that yeah, show. Yeah, that one was rough. So I, 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 I think I, I need to lend myself a little bit more credit that, you know, if there's, like, something minuscule on Penny Dreadful, then I could probably stomach it. Like, like Hannibal was about a crazy doctor who ate people. Yeah. Like this is about a police officer. Like it's, it's the, I've been selling myself short. Yeah. By the way, uh, for everyone watching, I know that, uh, it is on Showtime, but it's also on, um, the first episode is, is on YouTube. Just at least the entire thing on YouTube. Free, yeah. So if you want to watch it for free on YouTube, you know, you can, if you, if, if you like. A little Natalie Dormer action in, who I love. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I recommend it, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Anything else you want to say before we wrap this up, Mia? Uh, no, no, no. I am, well, looking forward to what happens next in Westworld. I don't think I'm going to get an early... Preview, so it's gonna. It's every every single second of this new episode is probably gonna be new to me. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, they've given us the advanced episodes all this time, but um, I think it's over now. Yeah. 
And if you want to ask questions of us and have us answer you next time, feel free to leave comments below or go on iTunes, give us a little review and uh, leave a comment. And we would be happy to take it in stride and give it a nice, thorough, wonderful answer. Uh, you know what? I didn't check beforehand if there was anything that they left us. But next <laughs> time, I will definitely be, yeah. <laughs> be conscientious about that. Oh, God. You know what? Give me one. Okay. Really, yeah. really quick second. I'm going to be so fast here. Awesome. I get to Mia, entertain the crowd with my yes, stand-up exactly. routine. And <laughs> entertain us very fast. Yeah, Cal- what's the deal Cal- with airline food? <laughs> I'm it, opening it. with that one. Oh, dang it. Okay. Whew. Nothing new. Great. I'm, I'm glad I did that. But that's an option. There's also the Wit Club. Buy a Wit Club t-shirt. Uh, get into the Wit Club. We do extra articles, extra videos, um, a prize a month. There'll be the new one coming out soon. And for Peter, um, I know you I know you won the last one. Uh, bizarrely, it's still coming, but it is on its way. Don't worry. And that's about all I have for this week. Anything else, Mia? No, I'm ready to end this. <laughs> well, as always, it was a delight talking to you. Thanks, everybody, watching. We'll be back next week. Um, and yeah, YouTube for the first episode of Penny Draft Folio, right? Yeah, it's just the premiere, but it's on there. And I'll be back next week, uh, Wednesday, 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. More discussion, more analysis, more sci fi, more fantasy, more me, more Mia, possibly a special guest. And we will see you then right here on our Facebook page. Bye, everybody. Bye. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.